are synced up. Okay, you ready to start? Ready? Synced. Synced. Oh. Yes. Okay. Synced. We're synced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Welcome to Drunk Duck Cinema Club. I'm your host, <laughs> Michael Puglisi. And I'm your other host, Allie Darling. This week's movie is Color Out of Space. And uh, Color Out of Space, the whole plot is in the title. It, it's, it's all right there. I mean, why even go see the movie, right? Just, just for the sub, just for the visuals. There's not a lot of substance. Yeah, it's a great looking movie, and you know, Nicolas Cage, big Nicolas Cage fan, so it's a. Uh, you never know what he's gonna do, you know. No, well, you know he's gonna go crazy. You just don't know when. Yes. He's gonna he's gonna cage a, it up. When I was reading about this movie, I realized bomb. caging it up is now a term that is used frequently in movie reviews for Nicolas Cage. Cage People have been really leaning into the Nicolas Cage-ness. I, like, I really feel like directors and writers are starting to play off of all the internet and like meta, meta Cage-ness floating around on the internet, which I'm all for. I'm all for more over-the-top Nic Nicolas Cage roles, specifically written for him to be over-the-top. Well, and even it's just so interesting because he seems to have... I read a review that called him the man of limitless energy. Where they're like, he has six movies on the go right now. Like, when they were writing about Color Out of Space, they were writing about how Nick Cage is doing, like, six movies at the same time. It's like, how? How? Yeah. So he, he just works, from what I understand, he just works and works to keep himself out of trouble now. Like, it, mm. it's not a money thing anymore. I, I assumed he's paid his way out of all of his debts with the IRS. One he just think. does it to, like, like, one, I think he just likes acting, and two, it just... It keeps him out of trouble, I suppose. So, good for him. Yep. But we're we're this is not the Nicolas Cage podcast. No, not yet. <laughs> Despite <laughs> all my efforts. Yeah, it could be. I mean, we're we're <laughs> we're veering dangerously close for sure. Yep. Um, we are talking color out of space. Bring it on back to the 2019 science fiction horror movie directed by Richard Stanley, based on the Color Out of Space. Short story by H.P. Lovecraft, written all the way back in 1927. And this is Richard Stanley's first feature-length film in over 20 years. Sorry, go ahead. It it really feels like a... I always kind of likened H.P. Lovecraft to, like, those books you'd find abandoned on the subway, you know? Like, they're everywhere, and they're popular, but, like, they're not... Like, they're kind of like, woo, you know? Like, they kind of have a bit of a Twilight Zone vibe, I guess. Yeah, so Lovecraft is, like, pretty known for coining or creating his own sort of subgenre of horror, this Lovecraftian horror, which is really focused on the horror of the unknown, a very typical mm. plot device in H.P. Lovecraft short story is for a protagonist to come upon some unspeakable horror that drives them insane, you know? Yeah. And in that same kind of vein, this when I was watching this movie, it really stuck out to me as one that I felt like I could watch on my couch when I'm 12 years old at like 9 p.m. on a Wednesday on like network television. Like that, it, it, it might be a little bit, a little yeah. crazy for that, but it had that kind of feeling. Like it's something I'd see on TV it's like the outer limits, but with a massive budget. Oh my god, a massive budget. But anyways, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, so H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, he's uh, uh, 
I guess, best known for uh, creating the Cthulhu mythos um, and for influencing modern horror writers like Stephen King and also being a horrible racist, even for his time when he was alive. So oh. good, good for him. Mm. Um, and then we have our director. So Richard Stanley, interesting guy, born in South Africa in 1966 and uh, has never blinked ever since. <laughs> Um, the man does not blink in interviews. It's quite, okay. it's, it's something. Yeah, That's no, unsettling. fun fact. Okay. It's a little unsettling. Um, and he was first introduced to Lovecraft by his mother, who would read him stories when he was about seven or eight years old. And even not as a tra- child, he was, yeah, I mean, some of the stories are not appropriate for eight-year-olds, but, you no. know, we just leave out details. Yeah. I mean, the, the the great thing about Lovecraft stories is, is your mind just kind of, like, fills in the blanks. You it's know? true. It's true. Um, so Stanley started cutting his teeth in filmmaking in the 80s. He would make short films and music videos, eventually working his way up to features. But his career came to a halt after trouble on the production of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which led to his firing. And then that was in the mid-90s. And then he didn't make another feature until Color Out of Space in 2019. Mm. And it seems like a pretty, uh, like, from what I could gather, he was, uh, I guess when people found out he was making a movie about, like, an H.P. Lovecraft movie, they were like, yeah, that tracks. Like, that makes sense with this guy. And it it seemed like something that they were expecting he could do well, uh, which is interesting, because that's kind of been those kinds of genres of horror. Like, they seem to have become very popular even if it's among a niche audience. So it's interesting that he wouldn't have made a movie for like 24 years. Yeah, that that's a great point because Cthulhu is definitely, and like Lovecraft, Lovecraftian horror and tropes have definitely made their way into pop culture, whether it's board games, video games, or music. Yeah. Like I, I first became aware of Cthulhu and Lovecraft stuff from Metallica songs and... Uh, yeah, you know, I, there was like a Cthulhu. Uh, what was it? Like a Cthulhu RPG or something, or uh, Xbox game? Yeah, Call of Cthulhu that was or in whatever. Like the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting that it took this long, um, for it to happen. And but he, I, he originally I'm... announced the movie, the Color Out of Space movie, in 2013, but it didn't start filming it until 2019. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting, it, it, it's interesting as well because Lovecraft also seems like a very obvious kind of, I don't know, like environment or like cinematic universe to revamp, but it doesn't really seem to happen, really. Like it doesn't. My really guess seem to... would be that it's just people find it challenging to adapt. Especially when the big bad in a lot of the stories or the horror is something that is never really revealed, fully described. Exactly, exactly. And there was a lot of, uh, I, I mean, the the main plot line of this particular movie is that this color comes out of space. And I recall, you you can in fact read the entire color out of space story on the internet for free. By the way, I found it. Um. They do not once mention what the color looks like, not once. Uh-huh. And it's like, how do you how do you make a movie about the color out of space if you don't? <laughs> what does the color look like? 
the only time they mention it is they say it's a color I like I had never seen before. Well, yeah, pretty hard <laughs> oh. for a visual medium. Yeah, but I, Stanley seemed to be the guy because there, like you said, there was a lot of hype about this movie, especially with Nicolas Cage attached and Stanley making his return, and it was finally released in September of 2019 but it wasn't fully released on until January 2020 now i don't think i saw this in a theater it might have been in some small theaters but it made its way to streaming quite quickly yes it was available in a theater um to to see it but it was in small kind of local theaters and only for a few days uh and then almost immediately put up on like i think amazon prime uh netflix maybe but but a couple streaming services pretty quickly interesting almost like a direct video feature but not quite kind of how it feels already so yeah (laughs) all right well let's get into the plot summary for this movie Mm -hmm. so nathan gardner played by nicholas cage moves into his father's farm outside of arkham massachusetts with his wife Teresa and three kids Lavinia, Benny, and Jack. Yep. And so, I mean, in, in general, it seems to... It, it They kind of seem to be a bit of a yuppie family. Like, they seem like they are clearly from the city. They used to be... Like, his wife is... Uh, Teresa is obviously, like, into business. It's never really exactly described what. And Nathan is a... You find out is, like, a failed painter or artist of some kind from the city. So yeah, they're very clearly not like country folk and they're not farmers. No, they do not seem like they belong there. So the eldest child, Lavinia, is super into like magic and Wiccan stuff. Mm-hmm. Benny, the middle child, likes getting stoned and watching space movies, which like, I mean, come on. Yep. Who I mean doesn't? you live in you live and, in the woods, so <laughs> uh, what else is there to do? Yeah. And the youngest, Jack, uh, is just kind of there. He doesn't Seems really Seems to do have much. no personality, yeah. Yeah, nope. Just a blank slate, empty vessel. Plot device. <laughs> so, <laughs> one night, a glowing meteor crash lands on the front lawn and seems to traumatize or stun Jack, the youngest mm-hmm. child, um, who has no personality, as we've established. Yes. And, uh, I mean, okay, here's what I find funny about this part, is how unupset Nathan, uh, Nicolas Cage's character, is that his uh, son is, like, traumatized. One of, the th- in one of the scenes, or one of the themes of this movie seems to be that people either under or overreact. Nobody seems to react appropriately to anything. <laughs> like, no, per- Nick Cage, like, Nathan's character, the father's character, does not react appropriately to his son seemingly being in horrific shock uh no he says the hospital's two hours away and doesn't want to drive and then he make he pours himself a scotch yeah he just makes a drink and he's like oh no no the hospital's two hours away and i mean one of the things that that they do establish in the movie is that each of the characters they are quick to establish their flaws i think um which i think makes it it makes it a little bit easier to perhaps buy into the fact that maybe jack is like a little bit of a baby like maybe he's faking it, maybe he's very sensitive, like who knows what. But all you do all you know is that Nathan does not 
does not seem to really care that his son is upset. Yeah, it's kind of funny because they do show him being like kind of a fun, goofy dad. But mm-hmm. yeah, when he's faced with his child, like clearly, you know, he's not the kid. The kid, the kid ain't right. Yeah, as Hank he Hill ain't right, it, and he's yeah. just, you know, brushing he, it off. He's like, well, I'm really tired, so. <laughs> so the meteor quickly starts to affect the nearby environment, where its influence is first detected by Ward Phillips, a hydrologist testing the groundwater, and also uh, Ezra, played by Tommy Chong, a yeah. hippie living in a shack on the gardener's Tom- property. Tommy Chong plays himself in this movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> It is Tommy Chong of Cheech and Chong. Um, for those of you like me who did not know uh, Cheech and Chong's first names, um, and and Ward is sort of a, he's also a plot device. Ward is kind of the narrator for the film, and I yeah his name his full name is Ward Phillips. Although I don't I think they only really show that on a business card. Apparently, uh, Howard Phillips Lovecraft is H.P. Lovecraft's full name. So it's a ah. callback. Yeah. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Fun facts left and right. Yeah. So maybe you caught it, but I didn't. Why is Ezra living in the shack on their property? Has he always just kind of been there? They do not describe it. And they do say that he was there when they showed up. And the farm used to be Nathan's father's. So you would have to imagine that perhaps, given the age difference between the two, maybe Ezra knew Nathan's father. Or perhaps they had some type of agreement, mm-hmm. but it, it is established that he's been there a while and that they just kind of accept that he's there because they you say, know, oh, he keeps to himself. That detail, along with uh, Lavinia being into magic and stuff, does feel kind of like a weird, unexplained hold- holdover that I'm sure is from the the original short story. Maybe played a, a greater role. It, it's just true. Kind of left dangling here. It's true. There's there are quite a few. This is one of my criticisms of the movie. There's quite a few plot lines that don't seem necessary in this movie. And the movie is quite yes. long. And they, you know, like there's a kind of an underlying plot point of like girl likes boy. There's an underlying plot line of oh the government is bad. You know, like there's a couple underlying currents that don't really seem to add anything to the movie. Um, and I think that's one of them. It's like, you know. It just kind of is there, but it doesn't necessarily add any substance. Mm-hmm. So the meteor's influence continues to spread. We start seeing strange plants and insects appear, especially near the gardener's well. Mm-hmm. And the gardeners themselves start to be affected by this strange cosmic entity. Jack starts communicating with an invisible friend living in the well. Very yep. creepy. To uh, Teresa cuts off her fingers, mistaking them for carrots, I believe. Just, uh, it's know, Teresa whoops. is interesting because I, I, from what you see throughout the movie, they're affected by what you can only understand is the water. That's what it seems to be that's affecting them. It seems to be that this meteor infects the earth, which infects the water, which affects the people. And I'm not convinced that Teresa was actually affected by this at all, because I don't recall there being any scenes of her drinking the water, of her interacting with the water. I think she's just overstressed and makes a mistake, because she seems to be the only one who's not insane. 
in this movie. I mean, she starts getting a little annoyed later on, but, you know, she's just a lady trying to do her job, trying to make money for the family, and uh, she's got shitty internet. We've all been there. She does seem to be the only one who... She seems to have regular reactions. The rest of the, the, rest of the family seems to go a little crazy, but she seems to be... She seems to kind of get what she should be doing. Mm-hmm. Nathan especially starts to launch into these rages and also talk with a weird kind of affectation to his voice. Yeah, which is apparently a throwback to a previous movie that he did that I've never seen, uh, some sort of vampire film uh, where he has this Vampire's kind of vocal kiss? tick. Yeah, he has like a vocal tick in that movie apparently oh. that uh, that's very similar to this. I thought he was supposed to be talking like his dad in the movie. I think that that's oh, what that I've could heard be somewhere. it. Yes, yes, yes. But either way, that weird kind of, uh, that weird sort of like raspy kind of stilted way that he's talking, apparently he's done that in other, in other uh, performances <laughs> as well. Of course he has. Yeah. So things start to go from bad to worse mm-hmm. when a bolt of the mysterious color strikes Teresa and Jack, uh, fusing them together into like this gruesome gray heap of horrifying mess yeah it uh, absolutely horrifying there's very quickly just like come into cronenberg territory with like this really creepy body horror stuff yeah and i mean there's a couple of kind of gory bits in the movie and there's a couple of kind of weird uh sort of uncomfortable more than i i guess upsetting like scenes in the movie but this is the first one where you're just like legitimately horrified um so unpleasant to look at and it's just like they keep this new kind of amalgamated creature keeps screaming and crying and it it's just it's so stark and it's so upsetting yes it's a very upsetting like pathetic creature composed of like like the two characters suffering right now are the ones you probably like the most and empathize with the most yeah empathize. i don't know about like but i for sure empathize with them more than any of the others Mm. What and one of the things so before you get to the next part part which is undoubtedly about how they then decide to bring the girl the mother and son who are now fused up the stairs when i rewatch this movie they seem to bring everything upstairs that is their solution <laughs> to to like what's happening like uh when jack gets like his and his he gets always into shock they go outside and look what's happening and then they come back in and they're like we'll just bring him upstairs let's bring him upstairs and then when their mother comes back from the hospital after having cut her hand, they're like, well, let's bring her upstairs. Let's get her upstairs. And then when they get fused, like some sort of horrifying monster, they're like, well, let's get them upstairs. Like they just keep bringing people upstairs. Like that is the solution to the problem. I mean, it's from the 1920s. That's all you could do back then. It was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, guess we just got to wait this one out. Let's just move them okay. to another part of the room and that'll do it. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> so funny. So, as you mentioned, the family moves Teresa and Jack upstairs, and Nathan looks like he's going to go in with the shotgun euthanization, but does not do it. He can't bring himself to uh, kill his wife and youngest child. So Yeah, and you seem to think that this has more to do with his wife than his son, um, because he doesn't really address the son. He addresses no, his he wife. Doesn't. Yeah, he just... I. You do get the sense, like, that the two of them, Nathan and Teresa, they really kind of give off a us-against-the-world sort of vibe. 
and they're obviously struggling and they're trying to make things work, but they definitely are the united parental front against the children. And yeah, like uh, they, they are very much on a, on a team together and, yeah. you know, chastise the children for, I, I don't know. What was it? Not answering the phone. They have like bad cell reception and they like get yeah. pissed off at the kids anything really like they got mad at them for leaving the alpacas out there is alpacas in this oh, movie yeah, the that, fucking alpacas. that might throw a curveball but they get mad at them for not taking care of the farm they get mad at them for not cleaning up a mess they get like it, it's it's pretty typical family stuff but in in like in all senses of the word like nathan is madly in love with Teresa and really would do anything for her so he i think knows that it, it would be in his best interest and in everybody's best interest to put them out of their misery but he can't do it mm -hmm. and at this point lavinia and benny start to conspire to leave the farm they get the, a horse together and they're just about to be ready to go but then benny is taken by the color into the well i think he mm -hmm. starts hearing a voice from the well and goes over to check it he starts hearing their dog down. Yeah, he starts yeah. hearing their dog crying because they haven't seen their dog in a little while. And what is crazy to me is I I don't maybe I'm just like a, you know, yuppie garbage like this family. But I didn't think you could climb down a well. Like, don't you usually get stuck in the well? Like, how do you get out once you climb down? I, I mean, they made it look like he was climbing, like, you know, putting his fingers in between the bricks. But yeah, I wouldn't suspect that it's something uh that you can do i mean timmy when timmy falls down the well he's, he's stuck he's in the well stuck. He can't get out. that is like a common storyline that someone falls in a hole you know and it, it like i i just you're watching it and it's one of those scenarios where you're like what are you doing in what universe does this end well for you get the hell out of that well if and anybody of course, owns a well or knows anything about wells, please feel free to uh, shoot us a message. And please climb down the well and then let us know if you can climb out. That's, yes. <laughs> this is the information I need. So let's see. What's the body count at? Who, who are we left with? Right. We are left okay, with so Lavinia. Benny's taken by the color. We got Nathan. We got Lavinia. We got the Teresa Jack monster. Yeah, and we have Ward, who now All shows right. up. Well, yeah, so Nathan locks Lavinia in the attic with the Teresa Jack monster. Mm -hmm. And, well, at this Nick, point, it is Nick really just completely insane. Into, yeah. Yeah. They've just gone completely nuts. And he at is this no point, longer Nathan. He's turned into Nick Cage at this point. Yes, he's gone. Uh, Full what Nick was Cage. The, the adjective you used? He's caged oh, he, it up. Yeah, he caged, he caged it up. Yes, he's gone full cage right now. <laughs> he's full of cocaine and vodka. Nothing can stop him. Nope. But the local sheriff and Ward, the hydrologist, show up to the house and head to the attic with Nathan, who finally shoots the monster just in time to save Lavinia, which is uh, kind of confusing because, you know, he put her up there. So It is. It is. And you, you kind of get the sense that Nathan is losing his grip on reality even more so because he seems to just kind of roll up into the attic and kill... Teresa and Jack with no remorse. Although, like, literally 15 minutes earlier, could not kill them because he showed too much remorse. So, I, I don't know. He, he's going through an elaborate personality shift. Yes, to say, say the least. Yeah. 
and everything kind of comes to a head shortly after this. So it, it's uh, it appears that well, okay. First, everyone leaves the attic. They go outside the front of the house, and they're the color this color starts shooting out of the the well and it looks like the basically the sheriff shoots nathan who the sheriff thinks nathan is trying to shoot ward but it actually seems like nathan was pointing the shotgun at the color yes he was trying to to shoot the color now again and i suppose true lovecraft fashion the enemy is not like a substantial or rather substantiated thing. It is not a tangible object. It's not something you can attack or run from or affect in any way. But I think he's just totally off his rocker and is like, I get it. I will shoot the color. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all he's res- registering is color bad. Yeah. I will, I will shoot the color. And so, yes, the sheriff mistakes this. The sheriff seems a little... Uh, small town. He's clearly not okay with any of these things he's been witnessing. Uh, nope. Ward is from the city, and I guess he's the hero in this story because he immediately steps up to be the manly man. Um, but the sheriff's a little trigger happy, and he he kill he kills the daddy. Yeah. So. Bye, Nick. So at this point, Ward and the sheriff they head for Ezra's shack, and yeah. They find Ezra there, but as uh, this kind of, like, mummified corpse. Mm-hmm. And a tree kills the sheriff. Yeah, <laughs> a tree I... just grabs him. I think it just grabs him and impales him, right? Yeah, well, and it's interesting, because this is the first, like, I, I just got finished saying there's no tangible enemy. This is the first tangible attack. Um, mm-hmm. All of the other attacks have been... Uh, a light or a color reaches out and hits something and that damages it in some way. In this case, it's literally like an evil vine. Like, it could be completely separate from the color out of space. Um, but it just swoops down very, again, very Cronenberg kind of monster style, yanks him into the tree, and then, yeah, just stabs him right in the neck. He gone. Yeah, and Nathan, so, uh- Nathan, and uh, Ward... Uh, seems to at this point realize he should be freaking out and books it. Yeah, he gets the fuck out of there. So now we only got Lavinia and Ward left. And at this point, Lavinia becomes seemingly possessed by the color. Yes. And, uh, yeah, near the well, she's possessed by the color and then disintegrates, basically. And Ward runs into the house. He seems to be chased by an apparition of Nathan, or uh, almost like a, a memory. It's of yeah, Nathan. it's multiple overlapping timelines. Um, and this whole scene is actually really, really interesting and very like eerie, but very beautiful as well. Like they do a really nice job of having these overlapping conversations from previous parts of the movie, and they have overlapping like. Nathan is kind of phase phasing in and out of existence in this scene, and so are the other characters kind of phasing in and out, and you start to see the true kind of dramatic effects that this color is having because they they sort of address that it affects not just time but also space, and you start seeing kind mm-hmm. of the realities blending together and, and time blending together. 
It's very yeah, uh, they, unsettling and interesting. It was really cool that they uh, that the climax of the movie also shows the full extent of the color's uh, ability mm-hmm. to manipulate what it comes into contact with. Yeah, and really. Uh, th- this is this is like true love Lovecraftian or a cosmic horror, I suppose. Yep. Um, so Ward hides in the basement of the gardener's house as the color continues to distort reality, and the color destroys the pop the property before uh, appearing to just up and leave the planet, basically, yeah. changing the surrounding area of all of its life and of all of its color. Everything been rendered a dull grayish whitish. And it's in it's a, very interesting because uh, Ward hides in their basement, but it is in fact their cellar. So he's essentially hiding underground, and seems to escape this explosion exclusively because he is underground. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is likened to an explosion, whereas the color throughout the rest of the movie is not doesn't again seem to be outwardly damaging, uh, but in the end does explode, and. Uh, really just destroys everything. It, it does seem, like you said, that it just sucks the life right out of the Earth. And on it goes to Who another knows where. planet, perhaps, to yeah. do the same thing again. So the uh, the very final shot of the movie ends with Ward's narration near, uh, which looks like a, a dam, mm-hmm. and his narration basically just suggests that he is scarred by the events caused by the color once again a very typical kind of lovecraftian ending having the Mm -hmm. narrator describe their utter horror uh the utter horror of the events that have passed and how it's permanently changed their life for the worst it's very x-files as well right like it's very unexplained mystery it's very kind of uh grandfather telling their kids a scary story around the campfire like it's it it is um more than a lot of I, I guess one thing that stands out to me is that it it is more than a lot of movies seems like someone telling a story uh yeah. from a particular perspective a particular point of view and you get kind of just enough detail and you get some detail that doesn't seem necessary kind of the same way you would get if you were being told a a story you know um for sure it's it's an interesting kind of uh it's it's an interesting plot director. I, I don't think I've seen a true narrated film in this in this way for quite a while. At least not a new one. Well, it's funny cuz they they don't like it's not framed as a narrated piece. Mm-hmm. Or it, I guess it does start with does it start with Ward's narration? I can't even remember. Yeah, so it starts with it him does. talking about the old forests and the blah blah blah, and then it it kind of pivots into the movie, shows the whole movie, and then it's him wrapping up the story at the end. So right, because he doesn't narrate throughout the movie. It's just no, no, yeah. It's a framing device, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so no, that is a very, I guess, older, old timey kind of way of doing it. Almost once again, like you know, an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, actually. Yeah, or like consider this. <laughs> or your viewing yes. pleasure like it, that's right. what it reminds me of that is yeah 100 percent. yeah okay so uh do you, do you got anything about the reception for this one so yeah this particular movie um it was uh premiered at the toronto film festival which is interesting uh it is 
as you mentioned, I believe, uh, produced by SpectreVision, which is the same company that did Mandy and some of the other ones that we've reviewed on this podcast. Uh, but it at the Toronto Film Festival won the Creative Coalition Spotlight Initiative Award. It's a long name. Nick Cage won that movie or won that award. And Richard Stanley at the Fantastic Fest, not the Fantasia Film Festival and not the Fantastic Film Festival, Fantastic Fest won Best Horror Film, uh, won Best Director, essentially, for a horror film. Um, this particular movie seems to have a lot of the same criticisms that we've discussed um, from people who've seen it. Uh, a lot of the criticisms are this is a two hour long movie that I could explain in three sentences. Um, there's a lot of pieces of the plot that are not necessary, like why do we have a dam being built on the property? Uh, why do we have like a creepy hippie that lives on the property? We don't need that. Um, why is the daughter into weird Wiccan? uh like rituals we don't need that you know like lots of those types of criticisms um but what a lot of people love about it uh is again sort of that uh old style of story they like the unknown horror story they like that it's not over the top horror uh it is in fact it is in in many uh scenes horrifying but it's not exclusively horrifying they kind of pad those scenes with uh normal family life they have like a funny segment of him being made fun of on the news like it's just you know little things like that um and all the characters seem to be not necessarily believable per se but they they seem like a family like they kind of seem believable as a family with all their flaws and in general, it, it seems to have received good reviews, although I feel like it takes a certain type of person to watch and review this movie. It's not one that I'd recommend to anybody I know. Uh, but it seems to have been well-reviewed, well-received. I think when I checked on it earlier today, it was an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 70% on Metacritic. So, I'm kind of surprised it was as well-received uh, as it was, considering the flaws that we discussed. Mm -hmm. But I think people... I mean, I think people were just really turned on by the visual style, and yeah, it is beautiful uh, for sure. Yeah, like, like you said, it's it's a well done movie. Like, um, you know, the family, the acting's good, the story's yep. interesting, but it does feel like you know, not like not not too much happens in those two hours, really. No, it's a little long, and it doesn't seem to need that length. Uh, it doesn't do a lot with it. Um, and speaking of it being beautiful, it has apparently an estimated budget of six million dollars. Yeah, which is like, not a lot. Well, especially it's, for a modern movie. Holy well, shit. It, this is the thing. So that's a six million dollar budget. Um, not necessarily a lot, but it apparently only cumulatively made a million. Yeah, I saw that, but that that must not take into account. Any of you their know, streaming, streaming revenue. And all that stuff. And I, yeah. and I agreed. And I think they had a little bit of a, a trying time releasing this because of uh, that which shall not be named, perhaps. Um, but I, I don't think that there's a lot of, there was a lot of opportunity for this to make a lot of mo money in the theaters either. 
Uh, no. So so there's that to keep in mind as well. But $6 million for the visuals that they were able to produce, like that final scene with the color, with the overlapping scenes, with the, the even the music that they have, um, it's very polished. It's very polished. Everything looks great except for the fucking bug. Oh, yeah, they really seem to have dumped a lot of money into that CG bug, which they didn't need to do. You could have just, like, no. spray-painted a... Not you could have just spray-painted a Prey Mantis. You could have just done that. <laughs> That's what it looks like. So, other, I've heard, um, and uh, more recently, that I, I believe this has been confirmed, that <laughs> Stanley's actually going to make two other Love, Lovecraft stories, or at the very least, one. That yeah. I believe the Dunwich Horror has been greenlit. So he's working on that, and he's hoping that if the movies are popular enough, he could get a large budget to do a third movie, which I'm thinking could be Call of Cthulhu, because that would be... Badass. I mean, that one would require a larger budget and would, uh, I mean, be among the most popular tales. It It is interesting as well, because a lot of people, when they were reviewing uh, this movie, a lot of the actual, you know, popular or famous or established even movie critics talked a lot about that. And they talked about how, you know, there's a whole cinematic universe available in Lovecraftian stories where they overlap with each other um, yeah. and making a three part series or making a couple movies, uh, they could easily interconnect. Like even in this movie uh, there's parts, I believe one of them is the weather report uh, mentions a bunch of other towns that are all from Lovecraftian stories uh, they yeah. have a couple other little things like that where they kind of just pop them in to the story because there is a whole universe to draw on, which which could make a really exciting uh, series of movies. Which is what I believe they're trying to do with the television show Lovecraft Country, but I, I'm not sure it's... I've heard that mixed reviews bad. about it. Sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's really the, the reception. It, it was, uh, I think it was well received by the people who were expecting it, especially, um, especially since it's been expected for quite some time and, uh, people sort of thought it was, there was about three years where there's nothing really being said about it. Uh, and then all of a sudden it just kind of cropped back up and got released. So. And thank goodness it did. <laughs> okay how about how about we take a little side uh a little sidestep and we'll talk about our recommended uh drink pairing mm -hmm. so i don't think we've actually mentioned it but the color the way they decide to portray the co color in the movie is uh a purple a, a magenta it's, it it is a magenta and what is interesting is um apparently magenta does not exist as a single wavelength of light it it exists uh as like a combination of lights it's like a it, it's called an extra spectral color that is only uh. perceived by humans in a specific interaction of the optical rods in the eye that detect red and blue in specific circumstances to create magenta in the mind hmm. science so it, yeah <laughs> you know science um, I know so, science. Yeah. So apparently this color of magenta and the kind of these ebbing and flowing pinks and reds and blues to create that magenta um, was specifically and sort of selectively chosen for this uh, type of Colorado space. Because I guess the idea is that scientifically this is the most otherworldly color that we can see. So it, perhaps an actual otherworldly color would look just more like more of this. Okay. 
That's mm-hmm. kind of like a cool scientific kind of way to explain not being able to create a undescribable color. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. What does this have to do with our drink? Well, we decided to make our drink that color. Purplish, yeah. magenta y kind of. So purple a little bit bitch. Of, a little bit of snooping and I came across a recipe for a drink called a purple rain. Yes, Prince fan. Rejoice. A purple rain. It makes you yes. think of chocolate rain, which it's not <laughs> the same. Different rain. So <laughs> I'm gonna read out the recipe and then I'm gonna make my I'm gonna make some recommendations. So the recipe calls for an ounce of blue curacao, an ounce and a half of vodka, an ounce of grenadine, an ounce of cranberry juice, an ounce of pineapple juice, some fresh lime. Put all that stuff, except the lime, in a drink shaker. You shake it up till it's nice and mixed. You serve it over ice. You squeeze that lime juice into the cocktail, and you've got yourself um, a very fruity, refreshing, kind of like a highball, really. Purple drink. Um, and you got yourself some purple drink. So yeah. Now, I would say, like, so you want the drink to be purple. Obviously, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that's going to mainly come from the curacao. And the grenadine, yeah, I guess. The grenadine, maybe the cranberry juice a little bit. But here's the thing with curacao and grenadine. If you, you don't want to fucking put an ounce of each in a drink. It's just yeah, they're sugar gross. on top of sugar. And they're both kind of gross. So <laughs> you only really need, you only put as much curacao in a drink as you need to get it that color so i, I have really like suggest... vivid memories of having like drinks with a layer of curacao on top so that they look like beachy and fruity and just getting like the world's worst hangover headaches ever yes it's pure sugar mm. I, I would say no more than half an ounce of curacao and definitely no more than half an ounce of grenadine um and if the color's not looking quite right, then you can kind of just balance things out with the cranberry juice and a bit more curacao. But if the um, color's not looking out of space. Uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll give that <laughs> one to you. Um. But yeah, that, that's uh, that's a drink. Not not really great for winter. You know the kind of weather we're having right now, but definitely mm. um, definitely a, a summertime kind of cocktail. Yeah. Yes, and it's and I mean I'm not a big fan of vodka, but but it sounds tasty, so I I'd give it a try. I you can also um, I've lately been, I've started using uh homemade uh, mixers for drinks, and you can make your own kind of convincing grenadine or curacao kind of mixers as well if you want something a little less sweet. Oh. Um, they just don't have the indefinite shelf life of those two products. Right. So like it, like they're basically s- simple syrups with. They're just watered down jams. That's what they are. <laughs> oh boy, give me that sweet sweet alcoholic jam. <laughs> All right, you got any uh cool cool stuff? Okay. For this so one? first thing was when I went when I saw the Necronomicon in this um movie i was like well i've heard of that in some like you know uh edgy films and in random animes and stuff but i'm like what what is that what is that um and in general it just seems to be a book of witchcraft that's about it yeah so it's it comes from lovecraft and it's a book written by like uh 
this man who like went mad and oh, I can't remember exactly when it first appears but it's it's like it's the book of the dead right and it comes yes. from Lovecraft it's from one of his earlier kind of short stories and it appears throughout his works and mm -hmm. yeah it's just kind of showed up in other popular culture I perhaps most notably the evil dead series yeah so these this necronomicon so it's like okay i'm gonna look this up i'm gonna figure out what this is and kind of exactly as you mentioned it's like a weird occultist like 1960s sort of religion kind of uh crazy spell book sort of thing and what i did find is you can buy a version of the necronomicon uh the necronomicon mass ma mass market paperback illustrated from 1980 you can buy this on amazon for 11 dollars and 28 cents um and i would say that it has some of the world's best amazon reviews because really? <laughs> yeah the review <laughs> there's one review which is my favorite one it says not a bad price for the power to summon ancient gods book arrives slightly damaged three out of five <laughs> <laughs> so wait this is like it's like a mock kind of like spell book because I, I have something called the Necronomicon that's just a collection of H.P. Lovecraft stories and novels. Uh, this particular one, let me just see here. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Which, by the way, if you're going to get a spell book to summon the dead and demons and stuff, I mean, just get it's the Bible. Be shabby. Oh, you know, it better on. be. Yeah, it better be. Because. People buy it and then they're cursed and then they die and then it gets resold. You know, that's that's how these things work. And you should only buy it from a weird used bookstore um, that actually appears to be closed when you come in. You, that's where you have to buy it. Um, I'm not exactly sure. To be honest with you, it seems to be uh, it, it seems to actually be a spell book, this one. Um, but it doesn't necessarily it doesn't actually have like pictures of the of the book itself, but it does seem to be likened to a type of grimoire, and that is how the reviews are, are talking about it as well. Um, Interesting. There's a couple other ones. We can, we can throw up a link to it, but there's a couple other reviews. Uh, what is this one? There's a good one here. Uh, I love the book. I got a great feeling of power when in, invoking some of the rituals, and then there's an update. It says, I'm not sure if this is normal, but I now have a sinkhole in my kitchen. Second update. My dog is acting funny. He's looking at me with more intelligence than before. Third update. I hear them at night. They're coming. What have I done? Final update. <laughs> this book will change your life for the better. You must buy this. That's <laughs> I'm really glad people have taken the opportunity to turn the review section into uh, the no sleep subreddit. Yes, exactly. So anyhow, you can buy this book. Uh, I'm thinking I might actually buy it just to see what it is and maybe become cursed. Uh, but you know what? $11. $11. Don't hog the good stuff, man. Pass it on. <laughs> the other thing, uh, like I said, I was able to find what appears to be the entire book, Color Out of Space, on the internet in an exhaustively long single scrolling web page. Uh, but it Classic. is there. Yeah, no, no page breaks. None of that. Um, but it's not very long. Like most Lovecraft stories, it's pretty short. Uh, but, but those are the two kind of fun little things I was able to find about this. Um, there's a couple little fun quirks, uh, up on IMDb that are certainly worth looking into. Um, one of them that is of particular hilarity is apparently most, both Nicolas Cage 
and Richard Stanley separately at one point in their life went on a search for the Holy Grail. <laughs> like, I don't, I have no idea how you prove that. I, I don't know, but... I mean, uh, you definitely, I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting uh, fact. The fact that it's on I'm here speechless. tells you a little bit about the two of them, that people would read that and believe it. Uh, so, tells you probably all you need to know. They both seem a little bit off the rocker. Well, I mean, Stanley at least is a sharp guy. He doesn't miss anything. Well, he didn't you? find the Holy Grail. Well, he doesn't blink. How could he miss anything? <laughs> he's always watching. Maybe he found it. Maybe that's, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe he's found it. Maybe that's who found it. Mm. Um, so you had, did you have theory? You said you had, you had some theories, right? Or some questions? So some... I had, I had questions about this movie. So in terms of theories, I mean, I think the movie leaves so much, it leaves so much unanswered that you can't really even make theories about it because it seems like it's meant to be unanswered. Like it seems yeah. like they give you the, all the information that you're going to get. Like, they don't really ask the audience to make their own conclusions. They don't. They just kind of say, like, it's a thing from outer space. And then you're, yeah. you kind of are just expected to accept that on face yeah, value. No, they don't go into the motivation of the color or its gritty backstory. No. Um, so I had, I, had, I, had, I had one major question and then a couple sub-questions. But the major one is, when the meteorite crashes into their lawn for whatever reason only nathan thinks it smells bad no one else thinks it smells bad and plenty of other people come to see it and i don't understand why um i thought maybe it was an age thing that maybe it was just adults that it smelled bad to but even when the news crew comes out to see about the meteorite they crush none of them find it smells bad but nathan is almost like doubled over because yeah. of the smell of this thing. And I can't figure out why. Um, and the only thing that I could think of that could be a reason is... Um, I thought maybe it's some type of defense mechanism for the, the thing. Uh, maybe it feels threatened by him or something. Because it, there does seem to be themes where this color out of space kind of behaves like an animal. Like it's yeah. uh, sort of, it, it calls things and it like kind of goads people and it seems to have like a kind of, it relies purely on instinct. Like, I don't know. So I was like, maybe it's supposed to be like doing some type of defense mechanism where it's like trying to make Nathan go away or leave it alone or something. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know why it smells so bad to him and no one else. Yeah, that's one of one of those things that is not really explained or addressed. I guess I, I just thought it was, you know, it affects everybody differently and it's kind of just yeah. almost a random how it affects people and it just so happened it affected him that way. But the idea yeah. of it seeing him as like a threat and trying to target him is pretty interesting. And yeah. it's plausible because he kind of seems to go uh, off the rails a bit quicker than everybody else. And and that's the thing, like, you also notice um, there is a scene in the shower where he appears to be, um, he encounters, like, a weird glob of water yeah, in the shower, right. and it kind of seems like it attacks him, maybe? Um, so I don't know, like, I, I feel like it, if it does have any form of intelligence, that maybe it was trying to get him, specifically, 
um, maybe seeing him as the one that could uh, kind of thwart it, possibly. Uh, I, I don't know how that could be possible, because he seems to be just as crazy as the rest. Um, <laughs> but he does seem to interact with it differently. And you're right, it, it seems to almost target him, because he's the one who develops like a horrific rash. Um, yeah, that right. he then uses, like he puts, he puts ice on his rash, um, because the rash is, you know, obviously painful. And of course it's the water that's creating everything. So he, I think he goes crazy a little quicker cause he keeps drinking the ice cubes. Um, he seems to have the most exposure to the water. Right. That makes sense. Um, but I mean, yeah, th that was really odd to me. Um, and the other thing that I was questioning is. It seems like with Ezra, who's ch uh, played by Chong, um, it seems like you're just supposed to kind of accept that because he's like a filthy hippie, he just gets it. You know? I mean, like, yeah, they basically. They don't explain like he, it. They don't explain, like, he's not a, I don't know, a cosmologist or anything, or, you know, he just, he he gets it. He He's, like, taking some recordings of, like, the under of uh, the underground, right? Yeah, like he says something along the lines of it comes from the earth and you're just supposed to believe that because he's covered in filth, he also is coming from the earth and perhaps they have a kindred kind of overlap there. But it doesn't actually make sense as to why he's got his kind of ear to the ground on this. Um, he, he again, it, it doesn't really make sense. Um, and it had me questioning, like, why does he why does he know it's underground? No one else seems to know it's underground though it does make sense considering I it mean, emerges from the well like you know i mean his purpose in the movie really seems to be that of like you know in in like the old horror movies you know they're the people are going towards the house and yeah there's always an old guy who's like don't go in there you know he's like the harbinger saying like yes stay away that's kind of his role in this basically and ezra has what i would call the most badass line in this movie where um he has a he has a cat. He has a pussy named G-Spot, one of the uh, hidden gems of hilarity in this movie. And Ward, when he comes to see Ezra for the final time before Ezra uh, is kind of overtaken by the color, he tells him, oh, you know, I'll keep an eye out for G-Spot because the cat's not there. And uh, he says, I'll let you know if I see her. And Ezra says, well, you might see her, but I don't think you'll recognize her. Ah, and that's right. Yeah, and that ties into my third question, which is everyone who gets exposed to the color seems to suffer some type of like radioactive damage, like a burn or something like that. And that was super interesting to me because I was trying to think radioactive burns are, are not necessarily from heat, but they are from certain spectrums of light generally. Um, so it's interesting because you think like this color, out of, the color out of space, like it's, if it was in fact like otherworldly, it kind of makes sense that it would be, that it could be, um, part of some of those wavelengths of light that are damaging to us. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is it doesn't seem to, uh, it, it doesn't really seem to hurt anything that it doesn't touch, which is not really how radiation works. Mm, so... Nope. <laughs> so I, I was kind of confused about that. I mean, it's obviously supposed to be like an alien thing, so who knows? But I was wondering about that. Like, why does it hurt some people and not others? 
Um, is it directed? Is it targeted? Um, you know, or or does it at the end of the movie? It does kind of seem like it doesn't have a rhyme or reason. It just kind of shows up, sucks the life out, and disappears. Kind of comes and goes, and maybe. But maybe you're right. Maybe it does target the people it feels most threatened by, or maybe it's uh, targeting certain people to like suck suck out their energy or something. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I thought it was doing. Is it was just hanging around and taking up as much energy or life force or whatever as it could, and then it just, you know, pissed off to somewhere else to do the same thing. Yeah. And but yeah, um, it, it... it seems to be just kind of a... There's just a lot of... I had a lot of questions, especially on my second watch of the movie, which is just, just kind of, I guess... I guess in reality, theorizing about why it may may be like that, but I, like I said, I don't think you're supposed to have an answer. Um, no, usually like the villains in a Lovecraft story, their motivations, like you know, the trope is that their motivations are beyond human comprehension. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, who knows what it wants? And so uh, we are, you but know, beyond. Yeah. Exactly. But th- that was pretty much it. I mean, I think the movie, um, I think you are meant to take it on face value, like I said, but it does raise some interesting questions. Um, I would also say that it has realistic responses, despite the characters kind of over and under reacting. Um, you're watching the movie and you're kind of, you know, hoping and praying that they just leave. But you know that if things were only this weird, you wouldn't leave. And by the time it gets super crazy, you won't be able to leave. So it does yeah. seem kind of believable. Um, and it has a little bit of that uh, kind of misery factor at the end where everything just gets kind of bulldozed and a dam gets built in its place and nobody knows about it. So Downer ending. Yeah, it has a bit of a downer <laughs> ending. It has a bit of a creepy ending that made me kind of skeptical of water. Mm-hmm. Which is bad. You don't know what you're drinking. You could be drinking uh, space stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah. Watch out. Yeah, <laughs> watch out. Cool. Well, I think that just about does it for Color Out of Space. I guess we'll give our final thoughts and some ratings. Let's start off with uh, the violence factor. The blood drops. So yeah. again, it doesn't seem like it's. It definitely has violence. This movie, but um, a lot of not, implied violence. Yeah, and it's not too gory either. Like it's creepy, but. I wouldn't give it uh I wouldn't give it, you know, the four or five star ratings we we gave to uh some of the more visceral horrors or hardcore Henry, which is just violence start to finish. Um, I, I'd give this a three. Yeah, three out of five. Very middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And then we have our skulls for scares or intensity. And once again, this one, you know, it's creepy, but it, it's really more of a kind of a mood really more than anything it's uh it's certainly not horrifying well i mean it, it, i don't know it's got horrific moments but it's not intense right no i didn't find and it, the the intensity is broken up by quite a bit and regardless of how intense it gets it's always very manageable yeah so once again three out of five three skulls mm-hmm. out of five and then overall just our overall kind of feelings once again Three out of five, because you know what? It's a good movie. It looks great. Acting's done. Nick Cage is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there's also all these kind of like plot threads that don't really go anywhere and these kind of unexplained um and it's just so long it's long it's long (laughs) like shit yeah like you know this could have been like an hour and 40 minutes easy i feel like this could have easily been a 22 minute episode of something (laughs) you know what i mean like it's i mean i guess so yeah it's a short story and they really stretched it into the movie. I think they did a fine job of it, but it doesn't necessarily seem to deserve two hours. Although to be fair, I mean, uh, a movie that came out a few years ago now, uh, Annihilation, which is mm-hmm. about two and a half hours, is basically an adaptation of Color Out of Space. Obviously with lots of kind of liberties and extensions taken um, from the original story, but like they managed to make that work. Yeah, for two and a half hours, but uh, I I've heard similar complaints about Annihilation. To be fair, that was too long, <laughs> longevity wise. But I mean, two and a half hours is long. But you're probably right, though. I mean, I I exactly. I don't think that it's long necessarily innately, but maybe just doesn't deserve its time. Like, Not all that for the time. way it was done. Like I yeah. I like looking at like really well shot, like nice looking movies, uh, but mm-hmm. like. I mean, it, it doesn't need to be two hours. And it's but. not always super beautiful, right? Just just keep the beautiful yeah. bits and trim the fat. Overall, though, if uh, you're into sci-fi horror or cosmic horror and the Nick Cage fan, then yeah, I mean, this one's for you. Definitely check it out. No, def- not as gory as Mandy, not as crazy. Um, a little bit of a conversation piece and beautiful to look at. So Yeah. So I think that's it for this episode. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what the New Year's brings movie-wise. Who knows what we'll get into. Yeah. Maybe something a little bit cheerier than this one. This one's pretty depressing. Yeah, that might be a good idea. January can be bleak, so let's let's liven it up. Maybe some uh, a comedy or something. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can find us on... Alex? Okay, me. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at Drunk Duck Cinema Club. You can also find us on Instagram at Drunk Duck Cinema Club. And I don't believe you can find us on the internet, but you can uh, find us at those other two places. And if that's not enough, then uh, deal with it. Yeah, sorry. No, we're too cheap to pay for a website. If somebody sorry, wants not to, sorry. Be, to patronize us, patronize please, us. Please do. Please do. Yeah. I'm, I Even already kind of want to patronize you. Email with patronizing comment that's fine too I'd love to true that. yeah <laughs> that would be great i would appreciate that heavily All right. i don't think they have our emails anywhere but oh. we'll figure it out we will disseminate them all yeah. right and on that note uh yeah i don't know peace be with you godspeed killer killer shalom <laughs> all right bye, <laughs> bye. <laughs>